0: Welcome to the Coach's Edge Podcast, dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball. And in this episode, AAU Basketball. The overall landscape, the levels, the experiences that it provides, the exposure that it provides, the positives, the negatives, the overall landscape. What can parents and high school coaches do uh, to give their child, their player, the best opportunity. What can they do to help build a stronger relationship with the AAU coaches that they are around to help them best benefit that player and also the team that they're playing for during the winter season. All that and much more with my friend Whit holcomb Fay. Whip is a Radford University Hall of Famer. He was one of the top scorers in Division I basketball. He had a very successful overseas career for about a decade, and he was fortunate enough to have me as his teammate for one year. Um, But realistically, it was the other way around. I had a lot of fun playing with him. Uh, We had a really successful team, and he was obviously a really big reason for why our team was so good. So uh, let's get into our episode. Before that, a quick word. We'd like to welcome Coach Witt Holcomb-Fay to the Coach's Edge podcast. We go way back, about 10 years when we were teammates back in in Germany. And uh, Coach Fay not only had a successful college career, a very successful overseas career, um, but he's familiar with high school basketball, both on the private school side, the public school side. And we're going to dig into some AAU basketball. So, Coach, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Steve.
0: I'm looking forward to it. Um, before we get into some of the kind of the details and finer points of AAU, as, as you know, and, and I'm probably not really familiar with AAU, and some coaches still, still aren't that familiar, As we try to figure out the best way to go about, you know, if you're a high school coach, making sure that you're finding the right fit for some of your players that want to keep playing and, and many times want to play basketball at the next level. But before we get into that, what are some of the positions as far as that you've held? And then we'll talk about kind of your transition from being a pro athlete to being a basketball coach.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I finished up um, playing in 2016. And immediately, I joined my brother at Parkland High School to be his assistant. for the varsity basketball team. He just, he just got the head coaching job. He had been an assistant coach uh, for about 10 years, and he finally got his breakthrough, and then I became his assistant. And then I also joined the AAU program that he built, uh, Team Winston, that same summer, the following summer. So those are the two programs that I've been with uh, since I finished playing.
0: And then you just became the head coach for Moravian Prep in Hudson, North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Okay, so Moravian Prep is a private school, and um, with everything going on, you know, with the virus and and everything, the uncertainty of public schools, uh, um, I felt I at least had to try to get in the private school um, in the private school game. So I, you know, I applied for a few jobs, uh, and then I had a former player go to Moravian, um, who transferred there and is reclassing. And he talked to the guy that runs the program, and the guy had me come up there and run a few practices. And I guess he liked what he saw, and they hired me.
0: I'm sure he did uh, like what like what he saw. And the one thing, you know, I had the chance to be his teammate for a season, and I'd never played against someone who was always a step ahead. Like, uh, for those of you that, like, if you're playing overseas, you have some game, like you didn't just, you didn't just fall there, or fall in your lap. And, and if you were fortunate enough to get a year overseas, nobody's going to sign you. You're going to go over there for like a year and then, you know, you're not going to get another contract. So everybody has, has some game, but then playing with you it was like, this dude is always a step ahead. Like he always knows and has an idea of what that next play is going to be, what that next defender is going to do a true coach on the floor. Uh, So it was really great for me to be able to play with you, to play against you every day in practice. It it made me a much, much better player. And then just being able to see kind of how you uh, viewed the game helped me quite a bit as well. And I'm sure it helps you as a coach. So how have those experiences as a high-level college player, Radford Hall of Fame, right? you're one of the top scorers in the country, your senior year, you go overseas, and you transition your game. So now you're leading leagues in assists. You know, how how did you go about one shift to the next when you went from college to overseas ball?
1: Um, That first year overseas was, I don't want to say tough, but that was the transition period. I went over there as a point guard, but obviously I could score. So that's what I was doing. And I think early on we were winning. But I don't think everybody was having fun. Um, A lot of the German guys weren't getting the touches that they were used to getting. Um, So, you know, I had a talk with the coach. I had a talk with some teammates. At first, it bothered me because I felt like we were winning and I felt like it shouldn't be an issue. But then once I sat down and thought about it, um, I mean, I I, I was always a good playmaker, so I could find people. I could set people up. And once I started doing that, you know, I I just – I eventually started liking that even more than scoring because I just saw how much better it made people, how much happier the whole team was, Um, and that's what I try. I tried to play like that the rest of my professional career.
0: I remember one practice specifically. We had a teammate named Tim Schwartz, and we were doing some shooting drills, and you said, if I throw it to Tim's left hip, he makes it almost every single time. You're like, watch, and you threw it to his left hip like three times in a row. And he switched it like three times in a row. He couldn't really hear us because you're a little farther away. And then you threw it to his right hip, and then he missed it. I was like, "Dang, this dude knows." Like this, this you know, he's he's. And then so I started to to really watch some of those um different things as well, and it made me a, a better player. And I was like, "That's that's next level stuff." How has how has understanding the game and paying Uh, attention to those really, really fine details, helped you as a coach?
1: Uh, Well, like you said earlier, I think it puts you ahead. Um, It's funny you said that because yesterday I I was training with some kids and we were doing some shooting, and I was the partner of one of the kids. And I kept noticing that when I gave him a perfect pass, he missed it every time. But that was because he likes fixing the ball when he catches it. So I started just throwing him bad passes. He fixes it, knocks it down every time. I just think that understanding or that way of thinking uh, when you're coaching, it helps put you ahead of the other coach and the other team, and it helps put your, your players ahead of them mentally.
0: When you have a player or a coach like that on your team, it gives you a level of confidence. And um, I know that being on your team, I always felt like we had an advantage because I was like, well, we got wit." And I know Wit is smarter than any of the guys on the other team. So, like, we may not win every game. Stuff goes wrong. Players have bad games, all that stuff. But I know we got a shot every single game because Wit's understanding of the game is, is at such a high level. And so it gives you as a teammate uh, also confidence to go out and, and do what you can do. Um, I remember another time where we were in practice – and you got beat baseline, and I was guarding a guy in the corner. And so I, I really like stunned at him. And then I went back to guard my guy in the corner. Because that's kind of what I was taught to do in college. And you were like, hey man, like if, if I get beat, you just take mine, I'll I'll take yours. Like, we're just, you know, we'll help each other out, play it. And uh it I was like, man, it, I just, I've never heard somebody say that. Like, just I was like the way I grew up high school, college, like you follow these rules and that's it, you know, and it's it's your fault, even if it's not your fault. And then um, I, so I transitioned because obviously it works doing that as long as you're on the same page. The next year I had a teammate in the exact same situation. I help, I help. He kicks it out. My guy gets a shot and then he's cussing me out. And I was like, listen, he was going to score a wide open layup. I know uh, you know, three is worth more than two, but it was a hundred percent he's going to make the shot. You got to take mine, and then he was all upset at me. But it, again, it was your understanding of the game. Is like, listen, we got to stop the other team from scoring one which way or another, and it may not be pretty and it may not be textbook, but sometimes the best way to get it done isn't going to be like that. And um, so you taught me some of that, and that's that's also some things that I've taken into my coaching. Uh, continuing to go through, um, can you compare and contrast kind of the, the differences of kind of AAU basketball compared to your traditional high school basketball? Because you're really in it at both levels at the same time in North Carolina. Uh, well, for
1: me, mine was a little bit different because the, the school I was at was uh, predominantly a football school. So we coached a lot of football players and we had to adjust the way we coached. Um, we didn't have any true bigs, so we couldn't have any lob plays, we couldn't have a lot of intricate um, you know, set up plays. We just had to play tough and we had to and we had to coach that way. When I get to my AAU team, it's a little bit different because I have talent from all over the city. So I can coach it a little bit different, I can use more plays, I can I can expect them to know more things. But just the high school I was at, it was just a lot of it was a lot of football players. So You know, just imagine, you know, coaching those type kids. They're real tough. They're real, you know, fast-paced game, uh, those type things. But just AAU to high school in general, I just think you have more talent on AAU and you can do a little bit more, but you don't have as much time to teach.
0: So how do you go about teaching the game? Like in in high school Um, during the season, there's a lot of, you know, scouting, getting ready for the next game. Um, but maybe you're practicing more times per week than an A.U. I don't know. How do you go about teaching the game at the A.U. level?
1: Uh, it's a little bit tougher. You have to expect them to know some things because they just came from their high school team. So you trust their high school coaches, taught them um, some of the basic things. Uh, but, you know, you usually have about an hour and a half a week of practice, and that's it. So we try to cram everything in as far as teaching into that hour and a half, and we try to find what's the most important. Um, Usually, you know, we make sure we know our sets. Uh, We make sure we know our defensive uh, rules and principles. And then we may, you know, we do diving on the floor, boxing out. We do all those kind of drills. So those things stay familiar um, in the game. Uh, But you kind of just trust their talent and trust their IQ because these are kids trying to get scholarships, so they should be a little more
0: ahead. So even though they only have you once a week for practice and then a weekend tournament, you know, these are kids that are playing, you know, basically almost every day in some way, shape, or form anyway. Um, so, so that that makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, Could you explain some of the different levels of AAU, the, the circuits, you know, I'm always, you know, seeing, you know, this was the Nike circuit or, the under armor circuit or the, the yeah. different levels uh how does that work?
1: Uh well the two levels I see are EYBL and AAU. Um I guess if you well I don't want to compare it like that, but EYBL is the upper, you know, echelon of players and you know those are the ones that have the sponsors and all the money. Um last year my team went 39 and 10. Uh we lost to nine EYBL teams and we lost to one AAU team. So that can kind of show you the difference. Um, I think our record against EYBL teams was probably five and nine. And our record against AAU teams, I guess, was like 34 and one. So that kind of shows you the difference in how tough it is to beat those EYBL teams. And they bring players from all over the country. Uh, They have the top players. Um, We try to beat them with – we try to play more as a team because we understand when you bring players from different countries, I mean different areas, that they're not going to have the same camaraderie that you should have if everybody's playing in Winston. So we try to have that as our advantage, but obviously they have the skill and the size advantage, um, being that they're the you know top players in the country.
0: That makes sense. So those those top circuit teams are getting sponsored by basically a lot of the shoe the shoe companies, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. A team like uh, y- yourself with Team Winston, those kids are paying uh, a number that you've come up with to enter all these tournaments, get your pay for your own gear, things like that.
1: Well, that is usually with AAU, but our AAU program is different. We have a main sponsor who who pays for everything, so we don't have like a Nike or Adidas deal. We have one guy who's from who lives in Winston. And, you know, it's kind of been his duty just to take care of everybody. And he actually does better than the EYBL programs. He pays the coaches. He gives the kids money on trips. Nobody has to pay for anything. So, but yes, normally in AAU, you either have to raise money, the kids have to pay. That's how we started the program. We had to do fundraisers.
0: That's what I was going to ask you about is if you're a a parent and you got a, a child who, you know, wants to keep playing throughout the year. How do they know if, especially if they're in a situation that's you know, not like yours, like, that's awesome. You guys have a, a local sponsor who's fitting the bill for a lot of things. A lot of school AAU uh, teams don't have that. How do they know if they're, they're paying too much or not enough to get you know, what, what they're trying to invest out of the, the future that they're trying to build as an athlete?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't think any program would, would try to charge you too much. Most programs try to do what they can. Like, they try to, they try to fund what they can fund, and then the, what they can't fund they have to ask from, you know, the parents of the players. Um, AAU is a great way to get seen, but it, it's probably not for everybody. Like, everybody's not going to get seen playing AAU. So if you look at it that way as, as maybe wasting money because maybe your kid ain't going to get seen, you could. But I think it's a great experience for all these kids because you get to meet the top kids, you get to play with, you know, the top kids wherever you are. You get to travel with them. You get to, you know, you get to do things that maybe you don't get to do in high school. And I think that experience alone, um, sometimes, is good enough for you know whatever money you have to have to come out of pocket for.
0: You know, I didn't play AAU because I'm from a really r- rural area, so obviously. You know, all my college teammates had played AU. They're from bigger cities and stuff like that. Um, there literally wasn't a team around and I really would have loved to play AU basketball. Looking back, I'm surprised how much I got as much um, you know, college interest as I did without playing any yeah. AU, AU basketball, because you know, for those of uh, for those of you that can play at the next level, that's how you get exposure, right? Um to what can what can parents or AAU coaches or even high school coaches do to help kind of guide their their child or, or their athlete into a position that's going to allow them to, A, improve their game, B, enjoy the process, and C, get some level of exposure that's right for them? And I'll, I'll add on to that, I know kids that are playing on like a – Huge AU circuit. They're traveling the country, but realistically, they're probably like a D three or an NAIA player. Yeah. and I'm like, I don't know if that's the best investment for them. Well, I have
1: mixed feelings about that because uh, I had a situation where a kid wanted to play for our program, but he didn't know if it fit him because he was more D two D three ish, and he was going to play for another program. So I told him, I said, "Look, you'll probably get more playing time with that other program, and you'll probably do more things." I said, "But if you do good on this big team and you can play spot minutes and you can play good minutes," I said, "If a big school sees that and they're looking for a role player, you might fit that role." So it's—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a tough decision to make uh, because, yeah, when you're when you're D three and you're playing on a team that's you know only D one schools are looking at. You might get overlooked, but at the same time, you might get a different kind of look um, because you might be in a different kind of role or a different kind of position. Uh, One thing I'll say is about AAU, Chris Paul had no interest from anybody going into the 16 and under AAU Nationals. He had one game against a point guard named Andrew Lavender. I don't know if you remember him. He was a short point guard. I think he was from Ohio. He He was one of the top guards in the country. And Chris Paul destroyed them. And from then on, every big school was on Chris after that tournament. So it happens. It may not happen for every single person, but it does happen.
0: Mm-hmm. I know, um, yeah, every, every player is different. You might A coach might see you and you fit a specific role that they're looking for. And, mm-hmm. and so there's definitely that, that chance for that to happen as well. Do you feel like... And I ask this because I feel like basketball training can get a bad rap as well. Do you feel like AAU can get a bad rap and why, if so? Um, I think
1: training and AAU can get a bad rap. Uh, I think AAU, because some people think that the people running it are just about money. Um, but at the same time, I mean, when you're running a business, it does have to be about money, but you can also be about the kids while obviously you need to fund what you're doing. So I think, and I think the way that people see AAU basketball, because of some of the way people play, my team doesn't play like that. We play together. You have to move the ball. You have to share the ball, all all the, you know, normal principles that you have to know going forward. We try to do that. I think some AAU programs kind of just let them freelance. They don't learn any plays. They just kind of coming up and down the court, just showcasing their talent. And I think that's kind of why AAU maybe gets a bad rap. But every team isn't like that. I've met more teams that are really team-oriented than I've met teams that are just, you know, running gun, just shoot whenever you get it, whatever.
0: When I went and saw you guys, you know, the the timing of this podcast worked out really well because I saw you guys play last weekend. And I can speak exactly to that. You guys got a, a half court trap in, a, a full court press. You got your, you know, your half court defense. The team that you played um, had, you know, it, it's not just hey we're picking up full court. I mean there it, there was a design, a uh, plan to what was happening with with both of the teams. And then offensively, you know, you're sharing you're sharing the basketball, and you beat a really solid basketball team. Um, so you're right. And what I like to say in my business, I don't really see myself as a basketball trainer. I'm not in the gym working with kids for an hour here or there, but my my business is player development and program development. And I like to say to people, listen, there's people that are bad at their jobs in any line of work in the entire world. There's bad teachers, right? There's bad politicians. There's People are bad at everything, right? So if you see an AAU game and you don't think it's being run the right way, well, I'm sure there's somebody that you probably work with and whatever it is that you do that you don't think does a very good job either, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so don't uh, that I get defensive because I feel like I got to speak for everybody that does player development. I'm like, well, yeah, there, there's some people that are doing player development for the wrong reasons, and they probably don't know what the heck they're talking about. and kids shouldn't work with them but there's also a lot of people that do know the game and that are in it for the right reasons and yeah I I see that watching you guys play one game of a basketball this past weekend where you're teaching the game you're sharing the ball you're competing defensively you're getting on the kids right you're not just letting them do whatever they feel like doing right you're coaching them up and so I think that's important for people to understand and as a parent or a coach if you see it done wrong well then you know you got to get out and find somebody who's going to do the do it the right way um,
1: well let, let me touch, I'll, let me touch on that just real quick yeah please do also, please do. also you got to let your kids get through some stuff too because when you go to college you're not going like chances are you might not like the coach um I was fortunate enough to love my college coach but I had a lot of teammates who hated him so you're, you're going to have to get through situations, and it's good to be able to learn that when you're in high school and when you have your parent right there, because when you get to college, you're not going to have your parent
0: right there. I love that because you, you don't have to be – like if you like your coach like you did, that's great. But it's not a requirement, to be right. honest with you. And, I, and for me going through, it was my expectation at any level of basketball that I played – that I probably wasn't going to like my coach or we weren't going to at least see eye to eye. I went in okay with that. Right. I'm totally fine if if I don't see eye to eye or get along with, with my coach because my coach in a sense, isn't deciding whether or not I love basketball. I love basketball and and I'm, and I'm playing and it's okay for me not to, you know, be best buddies with the coach. He's my coach, right? I got other people that can be, my best friends. And I think it's important for parents to understand that. Um, I had a parent down here in in South Carolina talk to me about how, you know, his, his uh, 10th grade son, you know, just didn't really, you know, love the coach. I was like, what do you mean? He just, you know, didn't really was like, well, that's fine like that's what his classmates are for that's what his teammates are for coach's job is to get everybody to work together and to be successful and if you end up liking them hey great um (laughs) what's your advice to parents who you know they want their child to be successful but they might be a little too hands-on so that you can't do your job the way you know you got to do it
1: oh (laughs) It's hard for me to give advice to parents because I'm not a parent. Um, And I don't really want to tell – like, I've had parents come to me mad at me and, you know, all that stuff, and I deal with it because I tell them, look, I'm not going to tell you how to defend your son or how to, you know, how to care about your son. The advice I can give is to – if you do trust the coach, you know – now, if you don't trust the coach, then get your kid out of there. But as long as you trust the coach, you don't have to love them. You don't have to agree with them all the time. As long as you trust them, let them do their job and see how it plays out. Because if you intervene every time, it doesn't allow your kid to get through anything. Um, If you you step in and defend your kid when the coach isn't playing them or when the coach yells at them, then that kind of takes the power away from the coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my advice would just be if you do have a trustworthy, at the very least a trustworthy coach, Trust him and let
0: him do his thing. No, that's good advice. And I think that when a coach understands, coach at any level, when a coach understands that they're going to make decisions, and no matter what decision they make, with the best heart and interest in mind of everybody, no matter what decision they make, somebody's still going to be disappointed with that decision. Yeah, at least one person. (laughs) And so when, when you accept that as, as a coach, I think it becomes a little bit easier to work with the parents or whoever it is that may not be totally happy. Cause it just, that's how it goes. It comes with, comes with the territory. Um, coaches, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast are high school coaches. What can a high school coach who's not an AU coach or familiar with AU, what can they do to, better their relationships in order to improve their players and their teams that they have in common?
1: Uh, Well, something that we've done uh, when I was at Parkland High School, and it was something we kind of had to do because we didn't have money. Uh, We did team events, fundraisers. Um, I truly believe that fundraising is a way for the players and the coaches, whoever the staff is, to really kind of get a different kind of feel for each other. When it's always practice or it's always about basketball and it's always just in the gym, yeah, you get tired of each other because I'm supposed to yell at you. I'm supposed to get on you. I'm supposed to make you tired. Uh, But when you do stuff outside of basketball, I think you build a different relationship, a different trust. I think the parents trust you a little more because they know you have their kids out, you know, doing good stuff. I think when you do little things like that, I think that helps if you can.
0: That's a good point. If it's involves things that aren't simply being in the gym and practicing, and playing AU tournaments, you're giving other people an opportunity to see and get to know you on more of a personal level, and you're giving them time to develop that relationship uh, as as you move forward. Yeah. If if I'm a high school coach in the Winston-Salem area. And I got a kid who I think would be a good fit for your AAU program. How would I go about communicating to you? And if you decide, hey, this, this kid is a good, uh, a good fit for our team. As a high school coach, how do I go about developing, one, that relationship with you and making sure that we're benefiting this player? And we're on the same page from their spring and summer with you to the winter season with me.
1: Um, I guess off the top of my head, I would say um, trying to come, trying to come catch a game of the coach. Uh, if it's a high school coach, uh, maybe come see a game, see how they coach, uh, see how they interact with the kids. Um, so you can get a good idea of what you think that coach can do for your kid during the summer. Uh, We had a lot of that. Uh, A lot of people liked the way that we played at Parkland, Um, you know, as far as just playing together, playing tough, uh, playing smart, you know, all all those things. Uh, We had a lot of parents want their kids to come play for – I was the assistant for Parkland, but they wanted to come play for me uh, for AAU because of the way we played there. So Mm -hmm. I think that can have an impact if they see you interacting well with the kids, uh, that develops a little more trust
0: early on. And that's a challenge to some high school coaches out there that I think, you know, they may be, ah, I don't know about AU or I don't know what my, my player is doing. They're playing for this specific program. And I would put the ball in their court and say, What well, have you gone and seen a practice? Have you gone and seen a, a weekend tournament? Have you contacted that AAU coach and, and yeah. gotten to know them uh, instead of saying, ah, I, I don't know. and?" We'll find out. If you don't know, find out. Ask them questions. I'm sure that AAU coach would be more than happy to say, "Hey, come to a game." or let, let me break down some of the things that I see with this player, because one of the nice things about AAU is because you don't have as much time for you know the four practices a week, you get to let those guys play. And when you yeah. let people play a little bit more, you get to see some of those strengths and weaknesses. That you may not give your uh, player a chance to to show, even if you have them during the season, with more practice time, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because w- well, what you get is you there's a lot when you get AAU, you don't really know the player because, like you said, you 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 it's one practice, then it's a tournament, then next week it's one practice, then it's a tournament. So you don't truly know the player. You see him a little bit in high school and all that. But when you really just – you can just let them get out there and play, you get to see kind of what they think they can do at least or what they know they can do. And I think that helps you coach players because I've been wrong about a lot of players. Like I'll see a player and then I'll have an opinion about him. And then I'll see him about, you know, a good number of more times and then I'm like, oh, okay, he's not even the position I thought he was. Um, So, yeah, when you let the kids get out there and play, you do get to see at least what they think they are.
0: As a – former college and pro player what are some of the those little tweaks or pieces of advice that you feel like can really help the players that you work with whether that's a practice whether that's um, in a game whether that's just taking a kid to a side uh, the side and saying, here's how you need to handle uh, some things in, in your life if you want to reach the next level
1: uh well with this new generation of kids i would say simple things um the new generation uh they don't even know how to make a a post feed and maybe post feed isn't as relevant now as maybe it used to be but i still think you should be able to do know how to do something as simple as that uh pass fakes um in a zone they they don't they don't know how to really fake the ball one way knowing that they're going to throw it the other way so i think those little things uh, can help these kids because these kids are great at drills. And uh, when you put cones out there, they, I mean, they look amazing because their their handles are, are sharp and their moves are sharp. But there's little things in basketball that actually turn into big things. And when you do those little simple things, it becomes a huge thing, I think.
0: So it's not just, you, know, you, you talked about pointing out those those small details. Which comes into communication, and I've heard a lot of times, you know, this generation is 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 different. Um, What are some of the keys that you've used to communicate well with the generation of high school players coming up?
1: Uh, Well, I think it's easier for me because they know I played. For a lot of coaches, if they don't know you played, you you really have to earn that you know that kind of title or that respect. It was kind of given to me because I can still get out there and play with them so they can see that, okay, yeah, he probably knows what he's talking about because he can play. Um, but just, just really drilling it, man. Like, you really have to embed it in their brains because they've been taught something totally different than what we were taught when we came up. Um, the basketball camps we went to were way different uh, than the camps now. And I mean, obviously, evolution, um, you know, that, that has to happen. Uh, but I also think we have to go back and show them uh, little things. And I think that helps your thought process when you're on the court. It helps your IQ. Uh, it helps a lot of things when you can do little simple stuff.
0: Getting them to buy in to what you know can help them improve is, is key. And I think obviously it helps you. You're a high-level basketball player. But if a coach can get through to the player at the point of, making them understand, I'm saying this because I I care about you and I want you to do well, right? And When the player understands that, it's got to be communicated well from the coach. And when the player understands that, even if you didn't play or play at a high level, you give yourself a chance to be able to get get your point across, which is going to help everybody. Um, Coach, another question that I get about AAU is, and even, there's been articles on it and all this stuff obviously i don't know which way to feel about it that our kids playing too much basketball not even not even aau in, in general just basketball in general what's your overall take on the overall basketball landscape in in today's game
1: i actually never thought about that uh I I don't know that there's such a thing as playing too much. Um, I hate to compare errors because I I know it's different now. So it's just, but when we played AAU, we played six or seven games in a day um, at times. Um, I think playing actually helps just as much as training. Um, When we were, uh, again, when we were coming up, uh, we didn't have a lot of training. Uh, It was more playing, and I think that's why we understand how to play the game better because the more you just go to the YMCA and play pickup, and, I mean, if you're really doing it the right way, you learn a lot of things by going going up against, you know, different people every day. You learn tricks from different people. Uh, When I was younger, I used to go to the Y and play with the grown men because they knew tricks. They had tricks that they had to use because they were older. They couldn't move as quick as they wanted to. They couldn't, you know, things like that. They had to use their mind more, and I think that's what helped me become a smart player: is going up to the YMCA and and, and playing against those players.
0: Finding people that are better than you, older than you, stronger than you, always helps. And always. I think that's a that's a great point. Is you know the we're so good. There's so much technology. The way to communicate with people has become so much easier. So you know, and even the growth of uh, Basketball instruction, training, player development has grown so much. If a kid wants to really work on their technique, there's no excuse not for them to have those skills, right? Yeah. But it's another thing, as you mentioned, to be able to perform it in a game. That's decision-making. That's IQ. You also mentioned, like, all those small little – like, here's when I pass fake. Here's the, the post-entropy. entry Certain things that aren't simply – here's the cone, make the move. It's reading the game, which you got to get through, through playing. Um, and, th- and then with the kids playing too much, I don't know how much, how I feel about it. Honestly, I still try to look into it more because when I was a kid, I was always playing the three on three tournaments and those three on three tournaments were outside on concrete or oh. asphalt in the beaten sun All day long, and that's what I was spending my Saturday and Sunday doing. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a lot easier on my knees to play in a big air-conditioned gym on a nice (laughs) hardwood floor than it was getting beat the crap out of in a you know the physical three-on-three where there's there's no refs. It's call your own, right? You play call your own, so you don't want to be the chump who calls foul every time, right? (laughs) So you you know you're gonna you get away with a bunch of stuff, and so I don't even know. You know, I th- I think playing on a nice hardwood air conditioned court would be, you know, better than your body probably than than what I did growing up. Well, but well. maybe
1: it might be tougher on them just because of all the training that they do. Of course, you can't go train for six hours and then go play pickup for six hours. Like you're gonna be dead then. Um when we came up, we didn't have all the training. So we might train for one hour and then we'd go play for three hours. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. that's a little bit different, but yeah, just the times are different. Uh, I think the, I think the kids can mix it up a little more instead of always looking for that trainer and that. And you have to have that. Don't get me wrong. You need the training, but you also have to find time to get with your friends and y'all go play pickup against each other to test your training.
0: Yeah, and that's like I'd love to get you out at some of my basketball camp stuff because we. I really try to um, layer it, and so by the we might break down a specific skill in a very small detail and say, listen, if if you add this little tweak to it, it's going to be better. But we layer it and progress it up to the point that by the time that workout finishes, we're playing one-on-one, we're playing two-on-two, it's live, right? Um, Because sometimes kids are doing the plan, they're doing the training. And what I try to do with a lot of my workouts is we're doing them both together. And so now it's, we immediately go from application, yeah, you can say, like, one on O, then one on dummy, right, dummy defense, one on guided practice. Basically, there's some decision-making, but I'm not going live against you. Right. But I'm guiding you into you got to make a decision, a game decision, right? You're working right. on, you know, finishing through or sidestepping. And I'm not going live, but I'm going to step out one way or the other. you got to make that, and then we're building up into playing. And so we kind of get it, get it all put together. Um, coaches we finish out um and near the end of the podcast. Before we get back to the rest of the episode, I want to thank you again for listening to the Coach's Edge. You can follow us on Twitter at Coaches Edge One. And if you're interested in our online coaching platform, a one-stop shop for all coaches to help you make your program more successful be sure to reach out to us and we look forward to talking to you about how you take your program to the next level. Back to the episode. Player question for you. When did you know that you could play? Was there a moment that you knew a, a game, a play that you made where you're like, I'm not just, uh, you know, going to play maybe a small college basketball and that's going to be it. Or maybe you were already playing college or overseas. Where you're like, I am not just a, one of these guys. I'm better than pretty much all these guys. Uh, there were
1: three moments in my life. As soon as you this said This is good. Three,
0: three moments. I like it. This is good. All, Let's hear it.
1: All three moments popped into my head. Uh, one is when I was 14 years old. Uh, Chris Paul had been starting over me the first three years of our AAU. And I guess my coach had started noticing that I was, I was, getting, you know, I was getting up there. And I, and I think I hit a growth spurt, too. And we were in our first tournament, and I came off the bench. And I just destroyed the other team. I had probably about 15 assists. Uh, I was throwing crazy passes, just all kinds of stuff. And after the game, the coach announced, like, Witt's going to be the starting point guard this year. Um, that was the first initial moment. Uh, Cause I was as a kid, I wasn't like super good. I was good. My dad was a coach. My brother was real good, um, but I developed later. Uh, the second moment was my the summer going into my. So so hold on,
0: hold on, hold on. When the coach said you were starting, did that mean you were starting over Chris that next game?
1: Yeah, yeah, for the yeah.
0: He okay. had started. I just wanted to make sure. 10,
1: 11, and 10, 11, 12, 12 and under. He started, and then thirteen and under was when yeah
0: that's pretty cool all right keep okay, going.
1: So, okay so then my junior going into my junior year the summer going into my junior year uh we played against a team uh Kenston from Kinston, North Carolina they had a lot of good players a lot of division one players and it was in a summer it was summer games and I went off for 25 and that's when I kind of knew that I was about to be real good on the high school level because I just came off a of JV season I hadn't even played varsity uh, so I, I jump up to varsity, and we already have our starting five. We already have our stars and everything. And if I don't score that 25, we lose that game. Um, so that was kind of a – that was the second moment that I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting there. And then the third moment was my sophomore year in college when I was – I think I was third in the country in scoring the first ten games of the season. And, yeah, when when, when that happened, I was just like, okay, this is – Yeah. I'm pretty good <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's pretty awesome that's pretty awesome um, was there any overseas experience that you had I mean you played overseas for about 10 years was there any overseas experience that has stuck with you that you try to now uh, translate and it helps you become a better coach now
1: oh um. I don't know if there's one in particular. There's a lot of them, though, that kind of shape the way I coach. Um, the guy, Moravian, I, heard, I overheard him telling somebody, like, yeah, he likes all that European stuff. Um, so I think a lot of the Serbian coaches that I play for shape um, – shape what I like the stuff they run. I like the, the intelligence that they have. Um, and just playing for those coaches and seeing those sets and learning those things, I think that just took me to another level.
0: It never hurts to have a variety of coaching styles and playing experiences because you get to take all these different pieces and you kind of mold it into what works for you and it makes you a better coach. And um, so that's, I mean, I played overseas for four years, three different coaches during that time. They're all little things that I tried to take away and piece together from the coaches that I have. And then working with players from, around the US and around the world that are on the same team, it helps with your communication skills. And I know not everybody gets the opportunity to to do that, but you want to be good at anything. It takes some level of communication. And so being being thrown into that fire where, you know, you're from North Carolina and we got, you know, uh, for example, Marcus was from Illinois and I was from Michigan and Theo's from Louisiana, Walt's from near you. And then we got European teammates from all over the place, if, yep. and a coach from another country that none of the players were from. I mean, if you can't communicate to each other well and learn how everybody's different, so you got to communicate with different people differently to get your get your point across, I know that helps you as a coach. It's got to. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah that, That's a great point. I, I, I kind of never thought about it like that. But me and Walt always joke about that season that we all had together. And, Walt jokes about some of the leadership things I did. He said I kicked Rob out of practice one day because he wasn't practicing too hard enough. Or So, we, you know, we always kind of joke about that. But that team, man, we had German, Serbian, uh, African. Like, we had, we had people from all over the world. And our coach didn't speak great English or great German. And we're in Germany with a lot of Americans. Uh, so that experience, that was probably one of my best experiences, uh, actually, playing on that team
0: we definitely had a wide variety of uh, locations and personalities on that team. And um, your personality was obviously strong as were a few of the other people on our, on our team uh, as well as our coach, but somehow um, we made it work and ended up having, that was, that was the most fun playing basketball I've ever had. Um, with, as we finish out this podcast, what advice do you want to give? Whether, you know, First, first one. What advice would you give to your younger self if you were to just start out in the coaching game?
1: Uh, for coaching or playing? Coaching. Oh, okay. Um. Huh, relax a little bit and have patience. Uh, my first year of coaching, uh, I don't want to say I was a hothead, but you know, I was. It was my first year, and I had some things to learn. Um. I thought I knew too much maybe uh, my first year. Um, so I would, uh, if I were to tell myself just to have a little bit more patience and, and uh, more understanding that you don't fully know the game just cause you played overseas, just cause you finished your career, you're still learning the game. And I keep learning that every time I go coach, every time, every game I have, I keep learning that like, I'm not there yet. Like I'm still, I still have a lot of things that I can learn.
0: That's great advice. I remember, I immediately went from playing overseas to being our varsity assistant coach, and coach was the same coach that I played for in high school. He put me in charge of a handful of things each practice. And looking back, I was running stuff like we were overseas, and I was—I've forgotten these kids were like 16, 17, 18 years old. <laughs> Even though I do, I was like, ah, oh, my expectations way up here. And it's like, no, actually, you know, one of these kids is going to play some level of college ball. The rest of them are done. What do you, what are you doing? Like you guys have to <laughs> understand where they're, where they're coming from. Um, so yeah. it's a, definitely a learning experience. What, what advice do you give to, if you had one or two pieces of advice that you would give to a young player coming up who wants to play at the next level, what would that advice be?
1: Um, one thing will for sure be: you have to put the work in. Um, I know naturally, you know, sometimes we tend to shortcut things if we're tired, if we're mentally fatigued, whatever the case may be. You have to find a way to always push yourself through it if you want to get to the the maximum level that you can reach. Um, otherwise, you'll you'll just be mediocre, um, and a lot of players don't know that until it's too late. Um, but yeah just um the work you put into the game and then also you can put work in trying to understand the game. It doesn't always just have to be physical. Um, there's there's things you can do to sharpen your mind with basketball. And I think that's just as important.
0: No, I really like that because it's not just about working hard and putting in the time, the, the sweat equity, but also putting in the time to understand the game. Like the best improvement that a player might have on their game is finding their higher level comparison and going on YouTube and searching their clips and, and watching them play. Like maybe you're, maybe you're undersized and not that quick. Well, YouTube, Steve Nash, right. And just study, you know, don't just be like, Whoa, that was a sweet pass, but study his footwork, study the positions that he put himself in on the court. that might be the best benefit that you could give yourself instead of getting up, you know, simply getting shots up, in the gym coach last last thing anything that you have as we finish out the podcast anything you have burning that you want to want to share before we let you go I know you got practicing a little bit
1: um no just to the kids out there um that are that are that are pursuing a basketball career um trust the process trust what you're being told um understand that you don't know everything yet because I promise you you don't um, and just listen to the people ahead of you. Um, they'll help you get where you're trying to go uh really listen to them ask questions all right, don't be scared to question things um, you know at, when you ask questions, it gives you a better understanding of what was said, uh even if you already know what was said. uh asking a question and it can also help somebody that's standing next to you um so don't be afraid to ask questions um, and yeah, just push your limits and 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 You know, try to be, try to learn as much as you can.
0: That's great advice. Um, With, thanks for being on the Coach's Edge podcast. I hope that we gave a bunch of you listening uh, an advantage by listening to our podcast, getting to see um, a viewpoint from a highly successful player, uh, AU basketball coach, private school coach, has been on the the public school side coaching and getting another view. And again, if we can get different kind of angles for how we see the game, we can all sharpen our skills and become better coaches for the next group of players that we're listening to. Thanks for listening to The Coach's Edge. Uh, Don't forget to leave a positive rating, review if you found it beneficial, share it out with somebody, get after today.